Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Well, hi, Bill. How are you this week? I'm doing well. It's hard to believe we're already into mid-May, which yeah. seems a bit crazy. I know. It's crazy. At least here in Minnesota, it seems like we are maybe having a little spring. It almost seems more like summer now because we're going to be having weather in the 80s and 90s, but so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow we skip spring and there's still ice in the lake up north. So there you go. Yeah, the craziness of living in the upper Midwest. Indeed. Well, you know, last week we had a really good discussion about pending regulation of lab developed tests and that recent New York Times article that raised concerns and how that might lead to legislation with the Valid Act. And you had made a really good point about how we need to work with other clinicians besides ourselves as we co-develop these lab-developed tests because I think some of the issues that really came out of that New York Times article with the neonatal screening test, the non-invasive prenatal testing, is that if you develop a test and it's just in a silo and it is used without appropriate guidance and in, not in the appropriate context, you run into problems. But that's not the way we should be operating anyway. As laboratory leaders, we need to be developing our tests with our colleagues who are going to be using the test because any test could be misused or used inappropriately. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that because we are all clinicians. To make our profession most relevant for patients, so we do have to kind of step out of our offices uh -huh. and really kind of connect into, because we're not right at the bedside. So we really need to make an intentional effort to do that. And I think it's uh, test development's a perfect example and some of the questions that came up around the NIPS testing, as it's called, the non-invasive prenatal screening test. Just one example of that, of the need for us as laboratory practitioners to get out and really understand what the needs of the tests are, what the diagnostic uh, gaps we're trying to fill, and then also be engaged with the users of those tests to really help them understand what they can and can't do. And now, of course, as you mentioned, if there is regulation of these developed tests, we are probably going to have to document more assiduously how exactly these tests are intended to be used as we develop them. Yeah, absolutely. I thought about what I already do, and I think we capture this well in, in the Division of Clinical Microbiology. Granted, we have it fairly easy in the sense that we have our infectious disease colleagues as a defined audience. It's a little harder if, for example, you're in clinical chemistry and everyone's using your tests. It's hard to just find one specific group. But let's talk about microbiology. I think of how we regularly meet with our, our colleagues to assess the needs. If there's new technology, we bring it to them. Sometimes they come to us. And of course, it's our job as laboratory leaders to look at that technology, make sure it would actually meet the need. Is it going to meet the turnaround time accuracy? Is it going to produce results that are difficult to interpret? And then we really work with our colleagues to implement that test if we go forward with it into the practice. We co-develop uh, algorithms together. For example, if I was going to be doing a prenatal screening test, that is a very good screening test, but always has to be confirmed with a definitive method. 
I'd probably have an algorithm that very clearly stated that and I'd have a disclaimer on every single report that the patients will see as well as our colleagues receiving the results that says this is a screening test and results need to be confirmed. So that's kind of a simple thing of what we're doing already. We need to be doing more of that. And like you said, if LDT oversight does occur, we're probably going to have to document all of that. Yeah. And where the need for that test came, I mean, look, I, that's not my specialty, but I have three adult children now. So I remember going with my wife to their prenatal, her prenatal exams and the testing at that point was I think the quad test, right? And which had very poor negative predictive value. So it could lead to amniotic fluid sampling or even sampling the placenta, which of course have risk. So the need in that uh, non-invasive prenatal screening test filled was to replace that test and make a more accurate test to guide decisions on further things that an obstetrician might want to advise their patient on their pregnancy. So again, to your point, really being part of the clinical team thinking about how, what is the need to be filled? Of course, hematology and hematopathology, we have a really close working relationship as well. In my area of myeloma, in fact, the tests that I developed both in TNNK cell diseases and in myeloma was because I was with the, the other clinicians and we were talking about the fact that we really couldn't provide good answers to patients. Say if they had a detected plasma cell dyscrasia, was it myeloma? Does it need to be treated? thinking about how that questions, what are the clinical questions to be answered and how to use a laboratory to help address those questions. To your point, does two things. It makes sure that the test that we developed is to a specific question. And as you say, we need to document exactly how that test is to be used as we're developing tests. It's just good practice. And the other is then to understand when it should be used and when it should not. Kind of when we talk algorithms, of course, now a lot of people think about digital pathology and algorithms to find mitoses. Here we're talking just about mm. best use of testing algorithms, kind of the, the best practices, if you will, are something that when you think about what a test should be used for, you should also think about what it should not be used for, because if it's used in the wrong setting, it's going to have a higher likelihood of producing an erroneous result in terms of what the clinical picture is, even though the test might be analytically validated. So if there's one thing that people should take away from this, it really is to be very engaged in the clinical practice for whatever your laboratory is serving. And I think that means really being part of the care team, whatever that looks like that you're in the people that you're serving and then continuing to read the literature and not just the laboratory medicine and pathology literature, you know, and even thinking about patient groups now, because if you're noticing now around lab developed tests because of the visibility of tests in society with COVID, there's now the Pew Charitable Trust just came out with something and there's a lot of patient groups that are saying, well, you know, wait a second, we want to make sure these tests work for us. So there's lots of different voices that we need to be paying attention to. And we also need to make sure that our voice is heard. Yeah. And of course, patients have increased access more so than ever to the actual reports that the providers, the clinicians ordering the tests are seeing as well. So what we write on the report as a, a comment, a disclaimer, a notice for additional testing that could very well be seen by the patient as well. So we need to really think about that when we're writing for different audiences and, and our reports are gonna be increasingly seen by patients. That's right. And you have to remember yeah. too, that our providers will be increasingly busy, right? I think that's the reality where healthcare is going in our country is that there's pressure on all of our practices, either through labor shortages or need to see more patients. The doctors and the providers will have less time which yeah. means that the patients will be looking themselves. I was just talking to uh, an individual 
that I've gotten to know through COVID who has had a wellness exam a month ago and still hasn't even heard from their physician what their test results were. And I think it's just because people are so busy. So of course, they're going to want to look for themselves. And that's another whole area that we could talk about. There are people here at Mayo and in laboratory medicine pathology that are starting to develop to be the actual people to talk with patients about using 3D printing and 3D modeling and other things to talk to them about a tumor they might have had resected or other things because we are the old term for the laboratory medicine professional is the doctor's doctor, right? That we really help provide that information. Mm -hmm. But we are really the patient's doctor as well. And we might yeah. be that voice right to the patient. All things to look forward to as we go forward. And the other thing too, I should add, is not just with providers, but again, as we've talked about on multiple podcasts, lots of things happening. And just in this one, we mentioned it, in the federal government, in our states, and then where we live, in terms of access to testing. So we need to also make sure that we're voices in the public domain about how tests should be used as well, not just in the hospitals and with providers. Yeah, absolutely. We have to be that voice out there. We are the subject matter experts with these tests and we know them better than anyone. We know what their performance characteristics are and sensitivity, specificity, all those things we talk about. We know how that translates to different populations. So we have to be out there as a, a source of reliable information. Yep. And that's why we'll keep doing this podcast. That's we're great. out there already. So yeah. we might as well keep our role going. Perfect. Well, that will be the plan. All right. Thanks, Bill. Talk to you again next week. Yeah. And another week, another podcast. And I that's always enjoy right. doing them. So. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.